name the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us pray as our Savior has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everyone. We're a little low in numbers because I think half the place is over in the gift shop shopping, so I saw them all over there. So we're going to continue to talk this morning, kind of give it, be a bit of a conclusion, and then give you a, a last few minutes talking about John Paul II's devotion to the rosary. Um, Fulton J. Sheen, hopefully soon to be blessed Fulton J. Sheen, you know, he talked about that all the reasons, the importance of uh, making making that holy hour and uh, the, how essential that was. And uh, side note, somebody asked me if it would be good to give a priest the book A Priest Is Not His Own by Fulton Sheen. I think it's on Ignatius Press. Absolutely yes. It's a great book. It's, a, it's an amazing book. So I, I couldn't recommend it enough. It was a book that was out of print, but now, thank God, it's back in print. So Fulton Sheen, what he does is he gives us this theological reason uh, for making the holy hour. And he said, the holy hour is not a devotion. It is a sharing in the work of redemption. For Christ asked for an hour of reparation to combat the hour of evil, an hour of victimal union with the cross to overcome the anti-love of sin. So if we think about that, by simply making the holy hour, what we do is we fulfill what our Lord asked his disciples to do in the garden at Gethsemane, to watch an hour with him. That comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, 32 to 42. So in typical Sheen style, what he does is he points out that by making this hour, what we do is we combat the other hour of the gospel, which the gospel of John always relates to the power of darkness. So by making the hour, we help Christ to conquer the hour and power of darkness so that Jesus' day might shine. As he would say, the devil has his hour, but God has his day. Devil has his hour, but God has his day. So with the spending of time with our Lord present in the Blessed Sacrament, what it does is it allows us, as Sheen would say, it allows us to become more like Jesus Christ, more like the one who we profess to be our Lord. How is that possible? So we think about, I know we have married couples here, I know we have friends who are here, 
Um, I know perhaps we even have uh, uh, parents and children who are here. And if you think about the more and more and more you spend time with one another, you don't become more different from one another. But what you do is you start to pick up on each other's mannerisms. You start to say things in a certain way. You, you start to perhaps even, not even knowingly, you start to even uh, uh, perhaps mimic it. When I was uh, with my family at Thanksgiving, I have a, a great nephew. Um, I think we're up to 20 on the greats right now. And I have a great nephew. His name is Jameson. He's named after me, son of James, right? And, uh, and so Jameson, I probably see him. He's nine months old. I probably see him every two or three months. He hardly sees me. However, I was able to hold him at Thanksgiving for 90 minutes. And he never made a peep. And he just hung out with me and laughed and looked at me and thought it was fairly entertaining. He's like, who is, who is this guy who has less hair than I do? <laughs> but there's a reason why I can do that. It is because I look like his grandpa. I look like his dad. I sound like his grandpa. I sound like his dad. I have the mannerisms of his grandpa. I have the mannerisms of his dad. So I'm very familiar to him. And that's why when I don't see him for a month or two or three, I throw my arms out and he just comes immediately to me. He won't do that with a perfect stranger, but he'll do that with people who are, are, are similar. So I grew up imitating the example of my older, my older brothers. I sound like my older brothers. I have the mannerisms of my older brothers because we spend a lot of time together. By spending time with the Lord, what we do is we start to pick up his mannerisms. What we do is we start to speak like him. And what we do is we start to look at the world uh, through the eyes of Jesus. So we pick up his mannerisms. We start to carry ourselves more like Jesus. That doesn't mean that we carry ourselves in a prideful or in a boastful way, but that means that we carry ourselves in a, hum in a humble way, right? that we put on that virtue of humility. Because Jesus, for us, is the model of all humility. Right? It means that I begin to speak like him. Again, I don't speak in a boastful way, but I speak always in a charitable way. And what is charity? The charity is desiring and willing the good of the other, as St. Thomas would say. And it also means that I start to see people, and I see the world, in more of a Christ-like view. That means that I see my brothers and sisters, no matter what state in life they are, no matter what socioeconomic background they come from, it means that I start to see Jesus, the others as Jesus sees us. And how does Jesus see us? Jesus sees us as created in the image and likeness of God. Jesus sees us as beloved, right? Beloved sons and daughters of God our Father by virtue of our baptism. So the more and more we spend time with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, it provides the opportunity for us to become more and more and more like him. To take on, to take on, um, some, of his, uh, take on some of his qualities and become more and more like him. So he said that the second reason, another reason why he did this was that it was linked to Gethsemane. He says that the only time that our Lord asked the apostles for anything 
for anything was the night he went into his agony. He said, did not ask them for an hour of activity, right? Goes, sends them out to preach, to teach, to proclaim the kingdom, take nothing with you. But this, he doesn't ask them for any activity. But what he does is he asks them to simply to, to be with him, to watch with him, to wait with him. What he asks for is an hour of companionship, right? So what can we say about this, this, this whole notion of companionship? Um, could you not spend one continuous holy hour of adoration in the presence of the, presence of the blessed sacrament with me? He didn't ask that. But what he did was he asked for an hour of time. And in spending that time, it's not one of activity, but really it's one of receptivity, right? It's not an active, but it's more of a passive. It really is opening ourselves up for the Lord and receiving what it is that Jesus wants to give to us. And it's an act of trust, right? Trustful surrender to the Lord. Jesus, I trust that as I spend my time with you, my, my time of receptivity, my time of passivity, and I trust that whatever you want to give me for this hour, that you will give to me. And whatever you will give me what will be, is, is what will be good for me. It might not be necessar necessarily what I ask for, but whatever you, it is, it's going to be good for me. What is love? Love is willing the good of the other. What does Jesus do? He loves us. What does he will for us? He wills for us the good. What is the ultimate good? The ultimate good is to be with him, and that is for eternal life in heaven. So spending that time of inactivity. Now, it doesn't mean that we go to the, the, the adoration chapel, we go to the church, and we just park, and we blank our mind of all things, right? kind of moving toward this nothingness, kind of that Eastern notion of meditation. That's not who we are. That has nothing to do with Christianity. But what it does is we, it means that we go there and we say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It does mean that we go there and we meditate upon the mysteries of our Lord's life. It does mean that we go there and we, we lift up our hearts in prayer. That really is the activity that we are to do. But really, it's an activity uh, where we, we are truly passive and we are receptive and we trust that whatever the Lord wants to give to us for that hour, that he will give to us, right? So this holy hour that we make, that we can make, again, whether it's daily, whether it's once a week, whether it's twice a week, whatever it is that we can do, and whether it's half an hour before work, half an hour at the end, of the end of the day, whatever the case might be, this holy hour, again, it's not one that's out of devotion, right? Simply out of devotion and piety. But it's one in which we truly want to spend that time with our Lord, right? Because for us, we can be so, so busy with all sorts of things. And even walking into the church, we can have our grocery list of all the other things that we should be doing, could be doing all these other things, but there is no better time to spend than to spend time with our Lord. So I, I think that's one of the things we want to help uh, to combat, to combat all those things. 
Sankateri Tekakwitha, Sankateri Tekakwitha, um, depending on how you say her name, the first declared Native American saint. So we know that she was in upstate New York, eventually moving over to Canada. And we know what the winters are like there. We see that on the, on this, on the news right now. St. Cattery had such a great love for our Eucharistic King, such appreciation and understanding of his true presence in the Eucharist, that the stories go that she would show up before the first Mass, and she would spend time outside the church until she was allowed to go inside, and she would stay until after the last Mass. These were the days before uh, concelebration, so there just wasn't one Mass. So if you had three, four, five priests, you had three, four, five masses. And she had such a great love for our Lord. And she trusted that the Lord only wanted to give her the good. And she had such a receptive heart that she wanted to spend her time near to Jesus. She understood his his, uh, true presence, his true presence um, in the Eucharist. What the holy hour also does, or time spent with our Lord, that it helps to keep the flames, the fire, uh, let me say, helps to keep the fires of flame as we continue in the weariness of the world. It helps to keep the fire of flames as we continue in the weariness of the world. So this is particularly important when we are stressed, when we are anxious, when we are tired, when we are lonely, when we are angry, when we are afraid. Right, For meditation, as he would say, Fulton Sheen, meditation keeps us from seeking an external escape from our worries and our miseries. Think about that. How many times have we done that when we experience all these different things? And who we should be seeking is Jesus because Jesus is, only, is the only one that's going to give us peace. Jesus is the only one that's given us true healing. And Jesus is only going to be the one that can truly satisfy the thirst that we experience during those times. And what we can do is we can turn to things which are counterfeit. We can turn to things which are false. And we can turn to things that will never truly satisfy or satiate that thirst that we have. As Augustine would say, and we know this very well, Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. And so for all of us, when we experience these things, we remember that. Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. As they say, we have that God-shaped hole, and it can only be filled up with the Lord. And many times what we'll try to do is we'll try to take that square peg, and we'll try to fill that round hole with the square peg. It will never happen. And we will always go away feeling a sense of feeling dissatisfied. We will always go away feeling dissatisfied. Fulton Sheen also said, the holy hour will restore our lost spiritual vitality. So our lost spiritual vitality. So if we feel we have a sense in our life that spiritually we are dry, that something is missing, right? We go to prayer and our prayer just seems to be lacking. 
it seems to be uh, not on fire, right? He says that the holy hour can help to ignite that again, to gain that, to give, to give us that spark that is so much needed in our lives. And this is relationship that I said, one thing I already said again, but I want to repeat it because he says the third reason why we make a holy hour. And it is to grow more and more and more into his likeness. As St. Paul says, we are transfigured into his likeness from splendor to splendor. So we become more like that which we gaze upon. Looking into a sunset, the face takes on a golden glow. Looking at the Eucharistic Lord for an hour transforms the heart in a mysterious way as the face of Moses was transformed after his companionship with God on the mountain. Something happens to us similar to that which happened to the disciples at Emmaus. On Easter Sunday, after when the Lord met them, he asked why they were so gloomy. After spending some time in his presence, and hearing again the secret of spirituality, the Son of Man must suffer to enter into his glory. Their time with him ended, and their hearts were on fire. Their hearts were on fire. So if we spend time before the Lord, and we walk in as an act of, of faith, and we walk in as an act of trust, and we walk in in that movement of love, desiring to spend that union with him, whatever we bring in from the outside world will simply melt away, right? Whatever pain or suffering or sorrow or sickness or whatever it is that we are struggling with or dealing with that time, that all melts away and Jesus will give to us what it is that we need. And that is hearts are on fire. Hearts that are on fire in love for him and hearts that are on fire for love of my, of my neighbor. So that companionship of that hour, what it does is it transforms us. It makes us more like the one whom we adore. It makes us more like the, the one we profess as our Lord and our God. I'm going to transform quickly into... Um, just a few things on Pope St. John Paul II and the Rosary. But again, I, I, I share these words with you about the Holy Hour, not to have you go, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm awful, right? I'm a horrible person. I'm an awful Christian. Ah, goodness, goodness, goodness. I have all these things to do. I don't, I don't say that. But what I share with you is maybe to add a spark, a spark to your, your, your life, to your prayer life, and to give you a remedy also on how it is that we can grow in our Catholic faith. The Mass, right, is extended through that holy hour, through that time in the Eucharist. And that time in the Eucharist brings us back to a greater love and appreciation for the Mass. So there's no greater place for us to grow in our life as, as Catholics. There's no other great place in our life to grow as Christians than within the Mass and that time spent with our Lord in the Eucharist. So we offer you this as a remedy uh, for whatever it is that ails you, right? Whatever it is that ails you, to spend time with the Lord. Uh, Fulton Sheen did it each and every day throughout his life, making that promise on the day of his uh, ordination. 
and it strengthened him all throughout his life. And now we speak about him as a soon-to-be blessed Fulton Sheen. So I would say the Mass and the Holy Hour, right, beautifully connected with one another, is a path that will lead us to sanctity. Pope St. John Paul II, in his, uh, his, not only his motto, but his coat of arms, was very Marian, and we were able to see that. He had the cross, and he had the M at the bottom. It was Mary standing at the foot of the cross. So Pope St. John Paul II was, you might say, very Marian. We should all be very Marian, and we should be Marian because our Lord gives us his mother to be our mother on the cross. Um, standing at the foot of the cross was the Blessed Virgin Mary and the disciple to whom he loved. We know this to be John uh, the Evangelist, right? James's brother. But we also know that we are all beloved of the Father. We are all beloved disciples. So when he says to the beloved disciple, behold your mother, he says that to all of us, right? So Pope St. John Paul II was very, very Marian in his, throughout his pontificate, throughout his entire life. Even choosing that motto, totus tuus, right? Totally or all yours in reference to the Blessed Virgin Mary. If anyone has had a chance to read Father Michael Gately's uh, 33 Days of Morning Glory, it's a beautiful chapter about the Marian devotion of the blessed, of the, the, toward Our Lady that um, Pope St. John Paul II had. Pope St. John Paul II in 2002 uh, wrote a beautiful encyclical, beautiful letter uh, on the rosary. And I highly recommend it to everyone. You can go online, you can, you can uh, download it, it's free. And he talked about the rosary, he said that the rosary was his favorite prayer. So here is this, this, um, this giant in the life of the church. And here he is saying, the rosary is my favorite prayer. And now the world looks at the rosary as something that little old ladies do when they sit in church, right? And, uh, but that's not what it is at all. You know, here we have somebody like Pope St. John Paul II, who really was a man's man. He's my hero. But um, he really was a model for, for all of us in terms of our, our Marian devotion. Be an imitator of me as I am an imitator of Christ. He loved Jesus' mother as Jesus loved his mother. And so we can take that away from him as well. We can love Our Lady as Pope St. John Paul II loved her and as our Lord loved her. But in this letter, what he did was he gave us a methodology for praying the rosary. It's a threefold methodology. He said, first of all, whenever we pray the rosary, we want to make sure that um, we, we, we incite the senses. And he said, one of the ways that we can do that is by speaking the mystery. The first of the joyful mysteries is the Annunciation, right? We speak the mystery if we are able to. Sometimes we're not able to. We might be in a church with a bunch of people on a silent retreat. We can't do that. But that's one way that we can do it if we're able to. Another way to incite the senses, he said, is by, through our, through our um, seeing. So we look at the image, the image that we are meditating upon at that moment. Sometimes we have those little um, how to pray the rosaries, uh, little pamphlets, and they all have little images of the mystery. Those are very good. Another cool thing is, is there are a million apps out there on how to pray the rosary, and most of them come along with an image of the mystery that we are meditating upon at that moment. So he said that was the first methodology to incite the senses, right? Through speaking the mystery, through hearing the mystery, through gazing upon the mystery. 
that draws us deeper into the mystery. He said the second way, the second way is, or the, the second method that we want to use is we want to take advantage of Scripture, right? Want to take advantage of Scripture because in the Scripture, what we do is we encounter the living God. And so if we are going to meditate upon the life of, the bless, of our Lord through the eyes of the Blessed Virgin Mary and through her intercession, there's a, a, a way to add to that would be to read the Scripture and to reflect upon the Scripture, right? For example, the visitation. We hear in the Scriptures how Mary goes to be with Saint Elizabeth, who was advanced at age and was also a child, that being John the Baptist. And so that allows us to go deeper into the mysteries. We speak, we see, the first, uh, first kind of method. The second part of that method is that we use Scripture. And then the third part of that method is we take advantage of the most difficult thing in the world, and that's silence, right? Take advantage of silence. There is so much that is competing for our attention in the world today that we need to turn down the volume. We need to quiet ourselves and be like Elijah and encounter our Lord in the silence and the quiet of the whispers I spoke about at the very beginning of our retreat. So we take advantage of silence. In the Mass, there are points where we have silence, where we reflect upon what it is that we are doing at this very moment. We allow ourselves to listen to that still, small voice, that quiet whisper, that voice of God. And Pope St. John Paul II, he said, if we use those three, if they're always present in the rosary, what they will help us to, they will help us to grow deeper into the mysteries upon which we are reflecting at that moment. Whether it's the resurrection, whether it's the agony in the garden, whether it's one of the luminous mysteries which were introduced in this encyclical letter that Pope St. John Paul II gave us, it allows us to meditate upon the life of Christ. And if we meditate more on the life of Christ, we become more like the one that we meditate upon at that moment, being Jesus Christ. Last couple words, he said that the rosary essentially is a Christocentric prayer. It's a prayer that is centered upon Jesus Christ. So it's essentially a Christocentric prayer. And then finally, the rosary is really gazing upon the life of our Lord through the eyes of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The eyes of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is our mother, right? Given to us as a great gift by her son. And so for any of us, no matter how difficult our lives can be, no matter hard th how hard things are, can be, whenever we are experiencing difficulties, pains, sufferings, trials, whatever it is, like a little child, we can always run to Our Lady because she's our mother. And she'll take us in her arms, she'll wrap us in her mantle, and she will give us that maternal love that we need at that moment. And we do that every time we pray the rosary. So as we conclude this conference, we prepare for confessions and then eventually Holy Mass. Let us turn to the intercession of Our Lady as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Pope St. John Paul II. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.